everyone, and welcome to Doing Good. I'm your host, Carmen Herbert, and I'm so thrilled to have on the podcast today, Jason Clausen. Jason is a father of two boys and one miracle baby coming at the end of December, or possibly right now. <laughs> We're talking in our little pre-interview, and he's like, my wife texted me and said she's maybe having contractions. So... There might be a baby at the end of this <laughs> or maybe today, <laughs> which is so exciting. And he is expecting this beautiful miracle baby with his new wife and amazing sweetheart, Kirsten. Jason is a licensed clinical therapist and the co-owner of Hope Kit, which is <laughs> therapeutic care packages called Hope Kits that help those suffering after losing someone diagnosed with cancer and mental health issues. These are not get well soon care packages that have chocolates and flowers. They're very special and unique. Jason continues to follow his mission of one should one shouldn't suffer alone after losing his wife to stage four colon cancer. The doctor in the hospital looked at him and said, Jason, cancer has a way of enhancing your life. At that point, he didn't want that. He enjoyed the life he had before going back to normal. But the summer after losing his wife, him and his boys held a lemonade stand that raised $1,500 that they took and started delivering hope baskets to those suffering and struggling, which is incredible. Shortly after this lemonade stand, Jason started on a mission to help offer hope, happiness, and peace after the life-altering event of losing his wife, and it was the medicine him and his boys needed to heal. Today, they've been able to help over 300 people deliver hope kits to all 50 states and four different countries. Healing takes courage, connection, and a community. Jason, I'm so grateful that you've taken the time to do this, even if your wife's in labor. So welcome to Doing Good. I'm so grateful to be here. I, I just, I love connecting with people and the ability to share my trial and challenge with others so that they don't have to suffer <laughs> as long as I did. So this is, this is awesome. Do you know what? And it, it's so sweet that I can't imagine going through something as devastating as, as losing a family member, a spouse especially, and but that you, instead of grieving and, 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 and wallowing in that loss, which you would have every right and, and reason to do, and no one would blame you for it, coming out of that deep, dark spot and turning it around to bless other people's lives, how did you find that courage to do that? Was there like a moment where you're like, okay, I can either get in this devastation or I can turn to my savior and 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 to and to light and to goodness and to help other people. How were you able to do that? Well, it, it's not easy. It took some time because shortly after the diagnosis of cancer to my wife, a, as a male, I put on this mask of masculinity, and I felt like I had to be the strongest for everybody. So yeah. I just be, I had to be the strongest for my wife because she needed me. I had to be strongest for my boys because they needed me. And other family members, they also needed someone that was strong. So I, I imagine me putting on this mask and then I'm doing clinical therapy. So I got to be strong for them. So it, it, it felt heavy because yeah. as, soon as, as soon as I put on that mask, I felt like I could feel the emotions just building, but I didn't have anywhere to share it until... I got everybody to bed <laughs> and I laid on the couch and then I took off my mask and I just would just weep. And, and that's how I got through probably about the first nine months after my wife passed away. So it was, it was just like 
I was silently suffering. <laughs> and, 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 and Carmen, you said, what was the moment? And I think one pivotal moment was, so I was just trying the best I can after getting this devastating news. I remember coming home after a day of therapy and my son, he was about 13 at the time. And he looks at me, goes, dad, you look angry when you come home every day. <laughs> and, and, and for me, I was like, I'm trying the best I can, but yeah. And even with the mask that I'm wearing, he still can see through how hard it is for me. Yeah. So I think for me, that began to shake things up and said, my, my boys need me. I, 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 I'm suffering. I need to get help. So I think at that point, that was the moment where I said, I need to do things differently. <laughs> so, and the way that I did it differently was, I remember I was at work and I sent out a text to my friends, families, people in my, in, in, at the ward. And I just sent out a text that said, Hey, I need help. I need you to come to my house and I want to sit down with you and I want to share what's going on and how I'm feeling. So you can imagine like sending that text and be like, I hope I'm doing the right thing by uh, like, I, I'm, I'm literally going to take off my mask that I've been holding yes. on to and just say, this is what's going on. So I was, I was apprehensive about who was coming and who would be there. And again, as a male, just opening up my heart is so difficult and hard. So sure. I, I just waited till seven o'clock and then all of a sudden the door started knocking and people started to pour in my, in my living room. And I was, I, and I was like, oh no, <laughs> I, I, me. I'm hosting people. Yeah. I really have to do this. Yeah. I can't, I can't hide anymore. But for me, it was the pain of opening up and sharing was seemed a lot better than the pain of holding on to all my grief. Yes. And so, that, well, I, and sorry to interrupt you, but that it, I just want to comment on how brave that is of you, like to actually do something like that. And I think that's the biggest thing when people are suffering. Everyone needs help. Everyone needs support, whether you admit it or not, you, you absolutely need it. And to be able to reach out and send that text. I mean, I wonder if your wife didn't just say, can I please just guide his fingers really fast? Let me just help him send this text message and help you because to say, okay, I need you to come over and sit with me and talk this out. And I am sure your house was filled to the brim with people like, I'm ready. I'm here because so often I'm like, I don't know what to do when someone's suffering. Do they want me to bring them a meal? Do they want me to talk with them? Do they want me to take their kids? Do I call them? Is that weird? What if I don't know them very well? And I'm like, hey, I've been thinking about you. Do you want to talk about it? They don't want that. People like me, it, I feel awkward and don't know what to do. So if I received a text that said, I'm suffering, can you help me? Oh man, I would come running. And, yeah. and how did that feel to open up your door to so much love? I, I, again, it was hard because I go back from the male perspective of our society teaches us to be strong and, and sure. we can't, we can't share emotions, but it was empowering to have what I call a healing team. <laughs> and it, what I learned too, is people are waiting to help. Yeah. They wanted to help. I don't think they knew how to help. 
Right. Until I invited them into that circle. Yeah. And, And then as soon as I did that, then people could step in and start helping me the way I needed help. Right. Before people are just kind of throwing darts and like, I hope this helped. But what I was telling them was life was overwhelming and I need some help. So w- what we did is we, we designated a captain for my healing team. And whenever things were overwhelming or triggering, then I would just text a keyword to my team captain and my team captain would share that out to my team and then my team would come running and help me with those responsibilities that were overwhelming me. So, so like my parents would come over and do my laundry. Someone would start delivering meals to me. Someone would start doing my yard work and, and then, and it would just like this flood of taking those stressors off. Right. Until I could say, okay, I, I'm okay now. <laughs> Emotionally, I'm okay. I can take that back. And and then it felt like I was, I could do this. And I, it was empowering me that I can do hard things Yeah, be- because I've connected. And that's the power of grief is connection. That's the opposite of grief is connection. Right. So, but until I invited them in to help me, it was heavy and overwhelming. I couldn't do it alone. So at that point, I said, I, I can do this. <laughs> like, like, I have a team and I have people on my side and, and, and they can help me. And there's nothing that I can't do now that I have people on my team. Well, that sounds like the most amazing idea and support system ever. To ha- what did you call it? What team? I the call it a healing team. A healing team. We all need healing teams. Like, how can we implement this? I'm not kidding. All of us have people around us to be. I mean, and that's the thing is sometimes it's not even the big things. It's just looking around your house thing. And, and when you are grieving, you're, it's physical so much as, as it is mental and emotional. And you don't, you are drained. And, and I know that sleep is a really big thing for people that are grieving, that, that sleep is, is healing and important. And sometimes you, legitimately don't have energy to cook dinner or do the dishes or mow your lawn or shovel your driveway. And just to be like, okay, can someone just take at least that off and just give you that much further ahead that you can think clearly? Because when your surroundings are put in order, then your brain can think more clearly and you can be like, okay, I can do this. I can tackle this. So how did you come up with this team? And if people are listening how can they do this and implement this in their life? Like I'm thinking of people like who would be willing to do that? And, and, and so first question is how did you put it together? Who did you choose? And then a follow-up question is how did you know who to choose that they wouldn't feel that you knew you could trust that, that you didn't feel like, well, now they're burdened with my burden. Like how did you know who would be able to help carry you through this without feeling overwhelmed with helping you carry that themselves? Yeah. How I came up with this is I worked in addiction recovery as a clinical director. So people that were in active addiction, we cr- we would create three teams for them. And and I thought if it worked for them, it's going to work for me. <laughs> and, and let me pause really fast. So you're, you're a clinical therapist and were you a therapist? This was your profession before your wife passed away. Is that yep. correct? Yeah. So you had all these tools and knowledge at your disposal 
that that could help you but was it different from someone experiencing it versus someone now you know that was t- helping other people versus now you're the one that needs to implement these yeah i had the tools and experience but i couldn't look in the mirror and and help myself pull out of grief that's why the power of inviting people in to help you is so empowering because they can walk you through this and kind of um, void you up until you're strong enough. So I think that's the key when you're suffering, whether it be suffering from sin, suffering from addiction, suffering in, in divorce, as you feel like you're the only one going through it and you feel so isolated. So the, the power of like reaching out to God or the power to reaching out to the bishop or the ministering sister that continues to come over or someone you care about, that's that's the power of healing. And there's no secret sauce. It's just bringing people into your influence that can help you. And for me, there was a lot of people that wanted to help me, but, yeah. I, but I felt like not everybody could help me. Yeah. An example is I'd go to church and people would say, hey, if, if there's anything I could do, let me know. Here's the key that people don't understand. When you say that to someone that's going through a hard time, you put the problem back on them. Yeah. And, and, and then we're already dealing with so much. Like that's just more extra work. And, and right. for me, for me, I don't, I don't, that's great. And I think they're checking a box to, to make sure that I'm okay, but I don't want those people. I want people that are going to sit in my emotions. They're going to let me cry. They're going to let me scream. They're going to let me cuss maybe. And they're going to sit with me. And regardless of what I'm going through, they're not going to leave. And right. that that's why I carefully chose who I did because I knew these were people that were in my life that had showed up for me in different parts of my life. And then I knew because of our history that they weren't going to run away because if they ran away, that would bring up that grief and that loss again. Right. And it would, it would just compound my, my emotions that I was going through. So it's, 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 I always say, be careful of who you select and open up because that can really cause you to shut back down. I see this with people with trauma or it can allow you to feel comfortable about starting to open up and starting to be vulnerable so that you can get the healing you need. So that's that's important is, is who you select to come into this team. And once you had created this healing team and did you, how, is it still in place today? Or was this like a, let's just kind of get through the next couple of years type of thing? Like, was, was there a timeline or are they still like, no, when if something else happens, like I know I can call on them again, like they are my team for life. I think, I mean, I can always, because of the relationships I built prior to this is I can call, I can call on them anytime. And because they know where I'm at and how vulnerable I am, I can just say, Hey, I'm struggling. And they, they'll, 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 they'll follow through with what they've always gone through with. But for me, I felt like it, it worked to pull me out of that difficult spot where I was alone. I was struggling. I couldn't do it on my own. And when I started to create some momentum with my team, after a while, I started to inviting things into my life to continue to help the momentum. And that's that's where like the 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 sunshine boxes started to take over and started to bring me purpose and meaning to my life. 
And then, because what I was doing is I was starting to connect with other people that were struggling. So what my team did for me, I was doing it for other people. And for me, it, 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 it brought peace to my heart. And I saw my boys start to be happier because we weren't focusing on the grief and the loss and everything that we were so disappointed with is we switched it into finding purpose and meaning of helping others. And that for me and my boys, and I can say this because I'm a therapist, that was, that was our therapy. That was healing for us to sit with someone and give them this box and say, this sucks. I'm, you can cry, give them permission to, to feel bad and, and talk with them and have my boys talk to their kids and hug them. And, and it's truly like the savior, like comforting, comforting those that stand in need of comfort. And it's so such a spiritual experience to go into someone's home that had such a a traumatizing event and sit with them and not run away. And and that's what those people need is people that won't run away. And again, it was my, <laughs> my boys started to be happier and that's what meant so much. And I felt, okay, this is, this is hard as a father, but yeah. it's super helpful to say, because I was open and willing to be vulnerable. Now my boys are being our, our, are being happier because of it. So, cause, cause I knew they were suffering, but I, I felt helpless. Like I couldn't help them. Right. So as soon as we started to create this lemonade stand and start making these boxes, that's when things began to get better. And we started to live a life of hope and happiness. And it's been so empowering to see people change. People reach out to us and say, can you help us? And, and, and it's like, okay, we can do this. And, and in a sense, it's doing what my, I mean, it's doing what the savior would do. Cause if you think about it, the savior, when he was going through his ministry, he was going through his hardest, most challenging times right before he was crucified. Right. But, but one of my most favorite miracles through this is remember when the soldiers came to get him yes. and, and Peter stepped in and cut off the soldier's ear Yes. Like he healed someone in that moment of pain. I was like, and someone that was coming to crucify him, someone that was coming to cause him pain. Yeah. He still in that moment instead of I would have been like, he deserves. I always think that I always think he deserved it and far worse. And instead he healed him. And, and that really, that really is the essence of the savior's love is it's it it's for everyone and in any horrible situation and up until the last moment he was looking outward and i do wonder if all those miracles and and the tenderness that he showed looking outward was the very power that helped get him through those most excruciating moments Yeah. And I think, I mean, this is just a small sample of, I I mean, I could sit at my house and I could sit in my grief. And like you said at the beginning, Carmen, I I could justify me being sad and being depressed and sitting in my house, but I I had a choice and, but I didn't want to. And 
by doing those acts of service, I always say it gives me like an emotional timeout. Yes. So for an instant, and I was able to take my emotions and my and put them on the shelf <laughs> and say, I'll be back. <laughs> and, and then I was able to go feel something, feel the spirit, feel something amazing and have just an uplifting experience and for a moment. And that was empowering. And then I could go back and I could take it back and I could feel it again. So for me, I was like, that drove me to be more service oriented because yes. I could get a break from my pain. And I think that's what's so healing about service is there's a chance, service and gratitude, there's a chance to give yourself a break, but you got to do some work to get that break. It's there, but you got to go looking for it. That is such an interesting way of thinking about it. I don't know that I've ever thought about that before. It, it Because when you think of course, the scripture, and as much as you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And when you are in the service of your fellow being, you're only in the service of your God. And I've heard that so often as if you're having a bad day, go serve someone. And I will be honest, there's sometimes that I'm like, are you kidding me? That's all I do. <laughs> I'm a mom. I serve people all day. That's the only thing that I do. And sometimes the last thing I want to do is, okay, who else needs me? But instead of looking at it as, what about me and and who's helping me and who's serving me is it's a break from that mental hamster wheel that we're on. It's a break from that grief and that devastation and the and and what I have to do and I'm so overwhelmed. It's like, oh, let's take a break, bless someone's life, have an outpouring of the spirit, and then you can and then like you said, you can go back to it. But did you find Jason when you when you went back to it? you maybe had a different perspective or that burden felt a little bit lighter. Not every time, to be not honest. Every, yeah. I'll, I'll just be honest. Like, not every time. But for me, it was just like, to, you know, like when you're you're struggling with your kids or you're at work and then you go step outside and have a break. I mean, that yeah. feels so, so good just to have a break. So when you come back, you're a little more, I think, calmer and more, you have different perspective or you have more different energy. So I think that's what it was is when I picked it back up, it didn't feel as heavy. It was still there, but I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. I can, I'll, I'll take this back on, but I know I can get a break soon. So I, w I wish I could say it got better every time, but as the, as I did this more often, I noticed my healing and, and this is, for me, this is the way I, I measure healing and grief is when I did that more often or when I talk more, the intensity of the emotion would decrease over time. So the more that I talk, the more that I did service, and then when I would pick it up again, over time, the emotional pain or the feeling would be decreased, and then I wouldn't be like wiped out for a couple of days or a couple of weeks. Right. I'd be wiped out for like a half an hour or an hour. And then I could pick up the pieces and then I could get back to where I was. Well that's that's amazing. And and mm -hmm. and that is progress. And and people that are that are listening that have recently dealt with the the grief that comes with losing a loved one, I think that's important to know, as you said, is that grief isn't an upward it's not an upward mountain. Like, you know, you're not, it's not going to be like, you're sad now, 
And then here you're going to get better. It's up and down. It's peaks and valleys. It's mm-hmm. low progression, you know, like the stock market. It's going to, you're going to crash and go through it again. Then it's going to come up. But over time, it does get easier. The burden does get lighter. And these are maybe the little peaks that you can help pull yourself out, even if oh, you kind of crash again. And that's all normal. It's okay to then get back in bed for a day and cry. It, but, but it, I think the point is, is not, not staying there, having that hope and that outlook of, okay, I can get out of this. So what, what would you say to someone that feels like, I don't even know how to take that first step. I don't even know how to, how to take care of myself let alone anyone else right now. How do they do that? I mean, I think, and when you're in that spot, you just feel overwhelmed like you can't do anything. I think a good first step is just go create. I call my my walk-in closet my liberty jail. <laughs> oh. So, so go, go, go create a safe spot wherever it is, whether you go drive or where you wherever it may be, but it needs to be a place where no distractions and it's quiet. And that allows you either, either you do prayer. And, and for me, I did some meditation where I would write down the question I was struggling with and I would listen to music and I would just write and whatever came up, came up. But it's, I think in those quiet spaces and shutting everything off that allows you to think and, it, and, listen to what you need to do in those moments um, and and using God to kind of direct your path. I think those are the first steps is finding a quiet spot, listen to your heart, turn it over to God and say, you know what, I'm not happy and I don't like where I'm at. But, and, and, and what I've also taught is learning to ask the right questions <laughs> because when we go through a traumatic event we're we're focused on why we want why why does my wife have cancer why does she have to die why does a young family have to go through this and when i began to change about what do i need to learn from this father or who do i need to connect with that will help me those three things can be empowering on those first few steps but again, you you almost have to turn it over <laughs> and, yeah. just, and just say like like I did like the pain of holding on to my grief yeah was so much worse than being vulnerable to a room full of my family and friends like right. there gets there gets to a pain where a place where it's just this sucks so bad like I I'm just gonna turn it over to God and. Yeah. And whether you choose that or whether your circumstances put you in there. I think eventually we all end up there. So you might as well choose that first. Because what's the alternative? It's already as bad as it can get. You know what I mean? It's already, yeah. the, you're already at the worst place. And yeah. so it, it, what, can, what can you do to improve that a little? So I want to know where the idea came for the lemonade stand. Was this in one of your Liberty Jail closet moments? Was this something your, one of your sons came up with? How did this idea come about? Well, again, going back to my healing team is... We, we tried to figure out what I, what my next steps were. And for me, I knew I had to, the memories that we are operating on were sad and lonely and depressed. And I knew I had to recreate some happy emotions and memories for my kids. So I, I ended up quitting my job 
And I said, I need, I need to be a dad. I need to, my, my kids need me. So I quit my job. And then I remember sitting at the kitchen table and saying, Hey boys, dad is home this summer. Let's make a, a let, let's make a bucket list and we're going to knock things off and we're going to make some awesome memories and we're going to have an awesome summer. So that's what we did. And one of the, one of the uh, bucket lists was create a lemonade stand so that we can raise a hundred bucks and, and give to two families. <laughs> and now, now look like, look what's happened. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, what is sometimes I'm just like, holy cow, God knew what he was doing when he directed me. And when I took those quiet moments to say, what, oh, what's my next move? So really in, in those quiet moments allowed me to like quit my job, inspired me to do the bucket list to reconnect with my kids and reconnect with people that were suffering to heal me. And it's been it's it's lit, literally life changing. What's what's really happened is as we started reaching out to people and delivering them with people that knew my wife as we were connecting with them and helping them with their grief. And then we just started doing this so much. And then a lady from Virginia reaches out and says, I want a I want a bucket. I want a hope bucket. And I was just like, how how are we gonna get to Virginia? So we started designing these boxes and we started filling them up and shipping them out across the country. And then I remember sitting down with my boys and I said, what are some goals we want to work on to, to help us? And my young boy goes, Hey, let's try to deliver one to all 50 States. And I was like, that, or, I don't know. We're kind of busy. Yeah. And he says, he says, no dad, everybody needs these. And I was like, Okay. Oh, okay. So I, I turned it over to God, and uh, a couple weeks ago, we we delivered our last box to Delaware, and now there's a sunshine. There's a I used to call them sunshine. There's a hope kit in 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 every state and in four different countries, and it's just it's just amazing that how how God can take our lives and transform us of what he needs and transform us to be able to become the person we need to be. And in the process, he's able to help so many people and to find a way to, to, to deliver hope. And for me to be inspired to create these hope kits that are literally, I created kits to be able to help people out of their grief yeah. and, and out of cancer, out of those diagnoses. And, and we have, the tools and the resources to help people. And I'm just like, this is so amazing <laughs> that, that I get to do this. And, and this is my mission to help. And, 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 and now we just want to share that there is hope. We can go through traumatic events and we can create a team and, and we can deliver them to people. And, and, and now we're just trying to reach out to people of influence right now. That's our mission. Because I'm only one person, but yeah. I, I'm trying to connect to people that that can help kind of champion this mission and start this movement of hope. Yeah. Because, because of the world we live in is so sad and depressing. It's like, we need more hope in the world. So I'm happy to champion that cause and say, come with me and let's do this together.
I'm happy to support it. I think it's incredible what you're doing. And it reminds me of top Bednar I just listened to. It's called Quit Worrying About It. Is it the Holy Ghost or me? And the whole idea of this lemonade stand that you're like, well, this is kind of a funny idea, but oh well. Like, yeah, my kids want to do it. And it's not like you receive this like burning in the bosom feeling like this will change the world in your life. You just kind of did it. And that's what Elder Bednar says. He said, if you are living righteously, you're being a good boy or girl, you're keeping your covenants, then the Lord will guide your path. He said, even without you realizing he's doing it. He said, in fact, most of the time you won't realize that that was the Holy Ghost prompting you to say or do something. Yeah. You will act in the name of God. It's like the sacrament that your his, his spirit will always be with you, that you will do things and say things and be in places that the Lord will guide you in because you are doing what's right. It's not like, okay, let me say a prayer. What did the Holy Ghost tell me? Oh, I didn't receive anything, so I don't know. It's like, just act, just start doing things, just live your life. And if you're being a good boy, a good girl, you're living your covenants, the Lord is directing your path in every way. And it's like this little lemonade stand that look what's come of that. Look how amazing this is because you just did something you felt good about doing with your boy. And I'd love to ask Jason, what what have your boys learned from this? What what can you tell parents out there that are maybe a, a widower widower that are worried about their kids? What kind of hope can you give them? Can you give them and what has helped your sweet boys? Feel the Savior's love and, and hope for them and losing their mama. I I think I go back to they they went through this traumatic event as well. So don't forget about them. <laughs> I, I think a lot of times kids become a casualty to what's actually happening. So don't don't forget about them and what they're going through. I think one thing that was really significant is when we started doing these um, lemonade stands. Uh, uh, these boxes, they were called sunshine boxes. We started to look for yellow things. And I think what it did, because when we went through this traumatic event, we were focused on negative things. So we would watch TV, we'd find the negative, we would hear people, we talk about the negative. And, and we almost took on these emotions of all the negativity that was going on. And uh, I think what we did by starting to look outside of ourselves and start looking for yellow things for other people. It trained our brain to look for hope and look for better things. I, I, I mean, it's a small thing and teaching this can be very hard, but focusing on like, hey, gratitude, uh, what are you grateful for? <laughs> and maybe doing that at the dinner table and, and begin to change the way that they think instead of the way that they are feeling right now. And that can be so hard, but it really starts with you. <laughs> They'll do what you do. <laughs> if, yeah, if you're sad and depressed and you stay in your room, like they're going to be in their rooms on their phone. So it's you, you, you got to help yourself by working on you, using your team, and then find a way to find those gratitude things and invite positive changes into your life. It doesn't have to be overwhelming, but it can be just small little things. Well, I love that, that even the visual, I'm a really visual person. And so imagining like looking for the yellow, even when you said that brightness, happiness, hope, 
sunshine things like if you even just tell them like think of a color white yellow sparkly happy you know instead of like the deep blues and the angsty i mean even colors evoke emotions and feelings so we, that- i we 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 already do this think about when you wanted the your favorite car that you always want you log it in your brain and then all of a sudden it starts to pop up yes or yes. you play the, the the game slug bug or punch buggy yeah you activate it in your brain and your brain starts to find it so why not do that with positive and things you're grateful for you yes. just have to activate it in your head and then your brain just unconsciously begins to find those things for you so tell me about meeting your wife her name's kirsten is yeah. that right yeah so she's your yellow now yeah how, how did you how did you find and meet her and and how did you transition to you know having been married and have kids to a newlywed and now expecting a baby with her how how did that come about that's a really big question <laughs> <laughs> i know tell me in five minutes. <laughs> yeah you're like me as a therapist ask these really loaded questions yeah. I, I i think what we got connected to the facebook page of the widow and widowers on this support group and that's where we started to seek for answers and support and we started to do our work by act being active in that group. So we saw each other and what we were doing, but we never met. And then we got connected. I'll have to back up. What's funny is this is another story for another time. Yeah. I I'll, I'll admit it. My 13 year old helped set up my profile on <laughs> On, on on mutual because he was he 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 knew I was sad and he they my boys always kept saying we need a mom dad we need a mom so that's that's a that's a story for another time but well that's amazing that they weren't like no we don't want anyone else that they were like recognizing no we want we want a mama in our life we want another female influence that's incredible yeah so we got we got swiped. We connected on mutual. <laughs> we and oh, I'm, funny world. I, I'm I'm so old school. I I was starting to text and I was like, ah, this I hate this. So I, yes. I I said, Hey, can I call you? And I called her for the first time and we Good talked for, for we talked for three hours. And oh. after after that, our our relationship still really started to develop and grow. And I think we were in a spot where we're just we've been doing our work. And that's what's important. Yeah. And by, do, by, by, do, by doing our work, we are attracting a healthy person in our life and for yeah. us to connect and for her to be a widow and me a widower, we were able to share this commonality and we are able to help each other with different perspectives. And it was absolutely healing. And I think one thing that was also healthy about our relationship was we we can talk about the other spouse and we can ask questions and we can reverently respect them and talk about them like they are still in our life. And that is, that is so healing for me. And we still have pictures of them in our house, but we can honestly say, Hey, this anniversary is coming up. Are you doing okay? What do you need? Or you're a little bit off today. Is it because 
you have the the there's your wedding anniversary coming up for yeah. Val- Valerie. So it's it just becomes a great opportunity to help each other rather than we're just um, we're jealous. <laughs> and, right. and what it does, it, it really solidifies our relationship and, and brings us closer together. I think that is so beautiful. And what a gift that you both are able to have that empathy for each other. And that is, I think, it really is such a gift that you, it's one thing to say, wow, that like for me, who has not lost a spouse to say sympathetically, I'm so sorry. And I can't imagine. And I feel awful, but I haven't experienced that. So your wife is truly empathetic to that because she has been through it and experienced it. And it reminds me of, well, our savior and a quote that I just read in saints volume one. Have you read that book? That the church has put out. Uh-uh, uh-uh. So I would recommend reading these books with my whole heart. They are incredible. From it, It's on the Gospel Library app, and anyone can get it. You don't have to be a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's the history of the LDS Church. And there's a little quote in there, and it's when Joseph Smith is in Liberty Jail, and he's asking Heavenly Father, why are we going through these things? Are you even there? Do you even care about us anymore? And it's and we all know the very famous scripture in Doctrine and Covenants, section 121, and even that the very gates of hell shall open, like I will be there for thee. We all know that beautiful scripture, know thee, my son, that all these things shall give the experience and shall be for thy good. But there's this one sentence, and just a quick, a quick backup is I interviewed the editor of these saints books for my podcast, Doing Good, and he said, Every sentence is historically accurate. So if it said it was a rainy day in April, we have found enough evidence in journal and and in and documents that have said on April 5th, 1870, wow. it, it was raining. And wow. so that if it says Joseph Smith walked home and his boots got muddy, that literally happened. It nothing is we don't interpret anything. Mm-hmm. There's this one sentence that they say after the scripture that's in the DNC that they have found documents that Joseph Smith wrote down or that people in Liberty Jail wrote down for him. And it says this, the Savior reminded Joseph that the saints could not suffer more than he had. He loved them and could end their pain, but he chose instead to suffer afflictions with them, carrying their grief and sorrow as part of his atoning sacrifice, mm. such suffering filled him with mercy, giving him power to succor and refine all who turn to him in their trials. That little sentence, he could end their pain. He could have taken away the trial for you and for your sweet wife, but instead he chose to suffer the affliction with mm-hmm. you. Carrying your grief and sorrow is part of his sacrifice. Such suffering filled him with mercy and gave him power to succor and refine you. That, to me, answers all the questions of why does he let bad things happen to good people? Yeah, It's because he's going through that with us and in doing that can refine us and help us because he chooses instead to sit with us in our pain. Yeah. And that is so powerful for me to remember when really scary, bad things happen. We're not abandoned. He's there with us. Yeah. And and because he can 
feel that empathy really knows how to help us instead of, man, I'm sorry you're going through that. Instead, he says, let me go through this with you so I truly know how to help you. Yeah. It it really reminds me, I I prayed for a miracle and the miracle... <laughs> The miracle was to heal my wife, but that's not the, <laughs> as hard as that is to say, that's not the miracle I got. <laughs> the, the miracle, the miracles I continue to get are the ones that I need and that are helping so many people. So God answered and <laughs> just like that, and, and he's been there for me to walk through this with me, this hard journey. But again, as we look back of where we've come, it is so powerful about who we've become. And it's powerful to hear that, Jason, and to be able to see just in talking with you that hope and trust that you have in your Savior, Jesus Christ. So if if someone is listening today and they think, well, how do I get involved in this and either helping deliver to someone or how do I receive one for myself or a family member? How can people get involved in these hope kits? So you can go to our website. It's called hopekit.com. And you can find you can find my story, <laughs> my background, and you can find these kits that are for people that lost a loved one, people di- managing diagnosis of cancer and even mental illness. And and in the books or in, in these kits, they have individually written in children's books specifically for these events to help you talk about that openly. And it really helps to heal the process. And and if you want to reach out to me, <laughs> feel free, Jason at hopekit.com to see how I can help in any way I can. I'm 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 here and that's I'm on this mission to help as many people as I can and whatever I can do. And Jason, along with this hope of healing after the death of a loved one. Would you mind if you want to, and, and, and if you feel able to, maybe ending with your testimony of hope of life after death as well? Do you have hope that you and your sweet wife will be able to see your spouses again and not only hope for this life, but hope in the life to come? Yeah. Life is hard. <laughs> And can be so emotionally overwhelming, physically overwhelming. And sitting in a closet by yourself, praying for things to get better is so hard. But what has brought me hope and comfort is to know know that I will be able to see my wife again. Years ago, I remember losing a son after... After 18 weeks of it, we had to have our son delivered early, and I thought that was hard to deal with. But knowing about the plan of salvation and that we'll be able to see each other again (laughs) has brought comfort to my heart and soul. And rather than I've lost them out of my life, I have a testimony that I'm working towards them. (laughs) and they are there waiting for me until uh, it is my time, but I'm working towards them by living the gospel of Jesus Christ and preparing myself to be able to see them again and to live with them again. And it is so 
incredibly healing. And I'm able to wake up and have peace and hope because I will be able to see them again. And that's because of the Savior, Jesus Christ, and because He loves us and cares about us, and He wants us to be happy. And that is my hope testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you for taking time to talk with us today to share your testimony and provide beautiful sunshine hope for those that are listening and that may be going through a hard time. You are a light. So grateful <laughs> to be able to talk with you. Thank you for all the good you are Thank doing. You. Thank you, Carmen. 